Today's episode of the Movie Goats podcast is brought to you by Nell's Supply Company, the original Palm and Pine. With summer around the corner, it's the perfect time to pick up t-shirts, shorts, hats, and more. Perfect for the beach, lake, or a hike in the mountains? Check out the newest offerings at nellessupplyco.com. In Nell's, it's always a great day to have a day. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Whiplash is next. Everybody, welcome in to episode four of the Movie Goats podcast. John on the mic is always joined by Brady and Brian Wednesday afternoon. And we are talking about Damien Chazelle's 2014 thriller starring Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. Whiplash. I'm very excited to get into this one. But of course, as always, we got to check in with the fellas. Brady down in Charleston. You did some traveling this week. How did everything go? Well, that's the thing. I was on the way to this podcast. I got in, into a horrific car accident, but I just knew the show must go on. My car's still in the street. I got, you know, I'm dripping blood as we speak, but the the, the show must go on. I'm not, I'm not going to miss out for the pod for anything because at the end of the day, the sacrifice for greatness is worth it. So that's why I'm here. I'm here to talk about Whiplash. And I'm, I'm excited about it. Did you uh, leave your microphone in the uh, rental car office? I did. I had to go back really quick. It was, it was a, it was a debacle. I just... Brian how you doing uh everything go well with you this week yeah for sure big uh I guess quick shout out to all the mothers on Mother's Day Sunday um we had a great day celebrating with with my mom I every Mother's Day and for her birthday I always cook her something nice um this time we made a red snapper with some bacon and pearl onion kind of sauce situation and then also made like a lemon trifle which i never made a trifle so that was fun i think overall the the she was a fan of the food so that all went well and uh yeah just a good weekend and then we watched i watched whiplash on saturday so i'm ready to to dive into it today Saw pictures of the trifle. It looked amazing. And uh, yeah, definitely shout out to all the moms out there. Um, shout out to the moms. Shout out to my mother. I got I, I don't want to look like the bad son. So I got to not that I'm, I'm not saying that just because Brian said it. I'm saying it because also shout out to my mom. There you go. Yeah. Shout out to all the moms out there. We love our mom listeners. Um, but yeah, so Whiplash. This was my pick. Um, it's embarrassed but it had to be second pick for me second miles teller movie it's not a coincidence this is my guy um this is probably the movie i've seen the most of any movie ever um i've seen whiplash over 25 times i think uh this is potentially one of my favorite movies if not my favorite movie um it's it's in the top tier for sure and so it was interesting to 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 know get back and and this time to watch it knowing that I was going to talk about it with people uh 
and break it down a little bit more. There was a period in like 2014, 2015, when this had just come out that I was telling everyone I knew to watch it. I watched it with my sisters, watched it with my parents, just everything. Just I thought my mom would love it because it's about music. And then I realized that it was like kind of just a psychological torture movie. And so maybe it wasn't up to her speed. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. Um, do, what, do you guys know anything about the, the background here, about the, it being a short film? Yeah, I, I mean, I, apparently he was trying to get this movie made. He couldn't get funding for it. So he made a short film, uh, essentially submitted to Sundance, and then he was able to secure the funding. So that's, that's part of it. And then also, I guess, Chazelle was, he was a drummer in high school. And apparently his high school had a very competitive band. And that was kind of the the origin story um, for him for him writing it. And it's funny too because I definitely remember back in the day, when, like when the short film came out. Like after I saw the movie, I watched the short film. And what's most striking is that he has J.K. Simmons. You would think that like he would have the uh, the unknown, maybe Miles Teller is the drummer or something, and then they use that. But from the beginning, he has J.K. Simmons, which is you, you know um, from the Spider Man movies. At that point, I wonder we'll have to do a little jk simmons corner because i want to look at what he was doing like was this kind of what like because now he's kind of a perennial in movies you see him relatively often um but this was definitely the movie that like we you know we all saw him play J. jonah jameson but this is like what put him on the map as oh if you got if you got like a supporting actor he's one of the top guys you can get jk simmons did take home the uh best supporting actor award um beat out Robert Duvall, Ethan Hawke, Ed Norton, and Mark Ruffalo. So that's kind of a loaded category right there. This uh, movie was up for Best Picture. It did not win. Uh, I know Brian and I have differing thoughts about the winner on that one, Birdman. Uh, personally, I think it's a travesty that this one didn't win, but um, it may be any other year. I don't know, Brian, what do you think? I mean, we we can discuss this maybe when we cover Birdman because it's probably coming. It's one of my favorite movies of the the 2010s, so it it was a tough year. I think other years I would have given Whiplash the nod, but not that year. I, I think Birdman was just so good. Um, I guess just taking a step back, though, it was a good year for movies. I can't name them all off the top of my head, all the good movies that came out that year, but I actually really liked Foxcatcher with Steve Carell. I think that one gets maybe a little underappreciated. I don't think people love it, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fascinating story. And I thought it was the first time you really saw Steve Carell in one of those like very serious roles. So it was like a, a pretty fun year, I think, for movies in, in general. And there were a lot of good ones. Um, but yeah, I think Birdman, I mean, personally, I, I prefer this Birdman over Whiplash, but I still really enjoy Whiplash. We'll talk about that soon. 2014 for Miles Teller. He was in four movies. Whiplash, That Awkward Moment, Divergent, and Two Night Stand. Um, that awkward that's, moment. That's the, that awkward moment came out the same year as this, because that is like two diametrically opposed performances. And I will I will give that awkward moment the edge performance-wise, because I think <laughs> he plays, that, that's him. He, he's got the J.K. Simmons role. He's the supporting <laughs> actor. And he runs away with that movie 100%. That, that awkward moment and two night stand. If you haven't seen them, I cannot recommend them enough. It's just comedies to put on. Love those movies. Brady usually does kick us off with the plot, but 
I did want to say one thing because it's pre-plot. The intro to this movie is so good. How it just starts in all black with the the it, you see the uh the black screen, the word whiplash comes up and you're hearing the drumming going on and it's the da and then it's like you finally the the lights come on and he's just the stand uh there he's just got the 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 drum kit going and he's just sitting there at the hallway the end shot just i feel like that was an incredible way to open the movie I think yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. So we open up. J.K. He's just practicing. J.K. Simmons comes in, and kind of you see that the trajectory of, the, of every interaction between them is you. It's usually J.K. Simmons giving him a little bit of sugar, and then going a little sour. But not when I say a little bit of sugar, very small amount of sugar, and then a lot of sour. And the whole movie is kind of that yin and the yang where he gives him enough. He just you know he's really mean to him. He's hard on him. And then he gives him a little bit of hope. And that's what kind of happens. This, this is like a microcosm of the whole movie. He's like asking him questions about like, oh, what do you do? You know, this and that. He leaves the room, comes back in. Oh, he's like, oh, you're going to stop playing. You know, he's kind of messing with him. And I think that's a perfect intro to the character because he's like a larger than life character the moment he steps out on the screen. Well, that's why I thought it was so important to like, he was in the dark. The way Chazelle shoots it is amazing. He's in the dark and then he comes into the light and he you know the first thing he says is like you know who i am and of course teller's like yeah because i mean this is the big shot on campus and he's like so you know i'm looking for players why did you stop playing teller starts playing he immediately is like i asked you why you stopped playing and your version of an answer was to turn into a wind-up monkey <laughs> like it was incredible like he's just he's we're all we're already like all the way in with this guy um yeah, so th- I think it's an it's an incredible first interaction. He slams the door, then swings it back open, and is like, "Whoops, forgot my jacket," and just bounces. And you're auto- immediately you're like, "Did he do that on purpose?" Because throughout the whole movie, he does these little things that you're like, "Was that on purpose?" And like immediately, you kind of already are questioning, like, "Is this guy messing with Teller? Is he messing with him?" Also, like, incredible look. That he just wears like the black pants, black shirt, and he's just jacked. The bald head looks no no one's ever looked better with the bald head like that. I feel like last episode we we're maybe a little too harsh on 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 the baldies. The I, I'm I'm pro baldy. I thought he this is an instance. This guy he looks better than he could ever look with a full head of hair. He looks he's look, again like Billy Crystal's looking like a snack. I think J.K. Simmons looking like a snack in this movie. He's got he's got the charisma going. I'm curious if he was like weightlifting for this role. Cause like when I saw him in previous movies before this, I never noticed that he was pretty jacked. I mean, he's, he's ripped in this movie and it, that black shirt. I mean, I don't know if you guys watch the food network a lot, but he's straight up. He's Robert Irvine in restaurant impossible. <laughs> Cause he wears the same thing. He always wears a black polo. He's absolutely jacked. And he's like, he, he coaches with very tough love. And I'm like, dude, he's, he's Robert Irvine in this movie in a way. He's like, I don't know. It's just funny to me. I like too that, like, so when they move on to um, Teller being in his uh his like not fancy class yet, he's in the he's in like the secondary you know music room. I like the contrast of it's like fluorescent lighting and the, it's not like there's no wood paneling. It's very like gray and boring looking. 
but it's like these i assume they're all in the same building so they just have like a room that just sucks and that's where i made a note of the kind of the sheen of this movie and like the colorways that are going on throughout it it's kind of like when he's with the big boys and gets called up into the the big leagues it's like it's black and gold and browns it's a really cool kind of i i feel like you're like whenever jk simmons is on the screen you're you're that's what you see like color wise and it's just kind of a fun um setup and i I just think it's really kind of artistic in a way that the way that that's shot i love too when like we're introduced to to his like initial band class whoever the uh the guy that he the guy that jk simmons calls a leprechaun what's his name uh Connolly. 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 There's never been a greater like like foil to somebody than Connolly just smiling. He's not like the guy who's like turn my pages, bitch. <laughs> that, I mean that guy rules at what he's doing, but Connolly is like a very specific type of guy who you know is just like he's he's just like you know he's just, you know he's smiling when all the time. This guy's just going through life. Nothing's ever going to get him down. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's the he's first time we meet him is like they're in uh, Nassau band is what it's called for some reason. I don't know. And um, the, the guy daps up Connolly and he's like, man, things have been hurting with Neiman on the kit. And Connolly like laughs it off, but then he like knows that Teller heard it. And he's like, don't worry about that kid. He's a dick. Like, so he's just like a good guy. I don't know. <laughs> every time they interact, every time they bust, they bring him out like later when the big reveal is, you know, he thinks that he's got that he's got the chair and then they bring in Connolly. <laughs> he's just smiling. He's like, yeah, he's been practicing all day. Uh, you can just sight read it, right? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Kind of, he represents kind of like the natural talent that maybe doesn't like work hard enough for it kind of guy where it like comes naturally. But, you know, maybe he's like too happy go lucky to like really be the best drummer at the school or something. Which I think we got to give it like a shout out that the the idea and this clearly comes because I, I think that movies one thing there's like certain things you can do in a movie to and immediately enhance it and just having specificity being very specific about a time and place the idea of a jazz drummer in an ensemble as opposed to like like I couldn't imagine Neiman or Neiman they I like how they mis they mispronounce his name the whole movie on purpose. Um, like he could be in a rock band. What is this guy? He, he would have total contempt for the entire band if they're playing like rock music. But that's what you think of when you think of a drummer, right? You're thinking of somebody in like, because most jazz, I think jazz was one of the few places that would have like a drum kit. Like I think like when I was in, I played the clarinet, if you can believe it, um, symphonic band. I was fourth chair. Um, <laughs> no big deal. Uh, but but, but um, they would have like the percussionist they'd have like the xylophone they'd have like you know the the cymbals triangle they'd all that but we didn't really have a drum kit but jazz but there wasn't we did have a jazz band and they always had a cooler shirt for their uh recitals they'd come out and they, they, we'd have to like dress up in like blazers they'd have like just polos and they'd just be like they'd have like an electric bass player they're so cool um but but it is interesting that like that's the thing he chose but it, it works because that's you can tell that Chazelle lived this. He knows like the specificity of the vibe, everyone warming up, even just the close up of like the woodwinds. He have to drain the spit. Like I remember that. Like people were doing that, and like I, we we had carpet wherever we were playing. I don't know. We it was definitely not like hardwood, so no one was mopping up. I don't I, I don't know how that room smells in retrospect, but I think that to its benefit that the the choice of doing this in this kind of world, you know, college music i guess it's i assume they're going for juilliard 
that kind of vibe. Um, they, yeah, they are. It's uh Schaefer is a, this is a stand-in for Juilliard and it, we do see that, that Neiman is obsessed. He doesn't really have a lot going on besides this music because the next scene is he's at the movies with his dad, uh, which by the way, this guy, I mean, this is dad of the year, probably like, I'm just going to nominate him. We'll talk about the dad more as the, the pod goes on, but like he's dad. Of All the, riser. Um, and then we get to Nassau band and Fletcher walks in with, with everybody thinks he's going to be picking Connolly to go up. Uh, he's just trashing everybody uh, that he's asking to play. He, I, I really like it when he asked the girl, your first chair, let's see if it's just because you're cute. And she barely gets like one note at, and he's like, yep, that's it. And then he takes Andrew. We almost like insults the actual teacher where he's like, what are you guys playing? And he like looks at it. And he's like, <laughs> like he like, kind of like blows him, blows says, off you know, like the other teacher, which is kind of messed up. <laughs> he says, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so harsh, but he does get the, I, I, I think that's a great intro to him where he like, you see, that's like the light version of him where he's like being a jerk, but he hasn't, he's not going all the way there, you know, and they keep on doing like, they keep on re- referring to like, you know, buddy rich, the bird, and, you know the story about how like a symbol was thrown at his head and that's kind of like you're waiting for that moment to happen but it has to build up because then he does is in that moment does he tell him i want you to be there at 6 a.m tomorrow yeah he says 6 a.m room b25 or whatever and then obviously you know tell her oversleeps genius move of like he's like not even, not only does he oversleep he wakes up after the call time right which is nuts yeah. <laughs> Is this like, oh, so take me back to the time and place, 2014. So this is, maybe you have a smartphone, maybe you don't, but I feel like this is alarm clock territory. Would it be? In 2014, I did have, that that was probably the first year I had a smartphone. Yeah, you would definitely have an alarm. You definitely have a smartphone. Nobody's using alarm clocks in 2014. Dude, you're giving me guff. I feel like I got my smartphone junior year of college. So I got mine in 2013. Yeah, but- even like a non-smartphone, even like a flip phone, they had alarms. Like even you used an like alarm a, clock. I wasn't trusting my flip phone for alarm. Was like I? a razor or like a Motorola chocolate. You you definitely had yeah. an alarm. Process. You had was alarm. I using that to get to that was that was I was waking up to class. Do I do I forget so soon? <laughs> yeah, oh, I had so. like a ringtone. I used to wake up to like Pearl Jam every morning. <laughs> And that's oh, like all the way back in high school. What track was it? Was it on a feeling? No, what was it? Uh, I think it was like given to fly or so. It was something that was kind of <laughs> upbeat and peppy. Dude, yeah, I, I used to have a, a, a ringtone for like every day of the week, like a different one. Like, you know, Mondays were good morning, Kanye West had to get had to wake up with that. Uh but that's insane. I, you, I had you, just, a, you just can't slip that in. You had a different ringtone every morning. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you have to set the mood of the day with. I the see. I disagree in the sense that you guys are talking about songs. I have a thing that like you can't choose a song you like as your ringtone to wake up because then you'll hate the song. Yeah, yeah. it did. It did turn me off a little bit uh, to that Kanye song, especially because it was Monday morning and that was just like, incredible. So. Here's my thing too is that, so obviously he gets to the the rehearsal space and he realizes that cla- class didn't start until nine and it was like a test right so like he was messing with him but I, he's also like oh he was messing with me 
I still would have assumed he was waiting there at 6 a.m. and then left because yeah. I wasn't there because he shows up at like 6.45. Yeah, well, I was actually going to say, do you think do you think J.K. Simmons, Fletcher, do you think he was there to see if he would actually show up on time? Or do you I think- don't think he's there, but I wouldn't count it out because I could see this guy being crazy. Yeah. And like, sure. because I think here's another thing that was bizarre. When you look back at like high school and I like, you know, high school football, they would have like two or two a days at one point. And like practice was at 5 a.m. I live in Atlanta, so everything's like 30 to 45 minutes away. Um, and I just remember being like, now as I'm looking back on it, why would the coach want to go that early? We didn't have to start that early. That was a personal choice. Like you're just – I think some people just don't need sleep the way other people do, and they just have – they keep strange hours. It doesn't make – doesn't hold water to me because my brother is a basketball coach, and he's like – I don't think he like says, hey, guys, we're going to have a 5 a.m. practice. That's insane. That doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, but maybe that's the price of greatness. Maybe that's why I was never yeah. – that's why I was fourth chair clarinet. I, uh, I've i gone back and forth on it if I thought Fletcher was there at 6 a.m. because I think he definitely picked Andrew because he sees something in him. He sees him practicing and, like, alone in that dark room. So he's like, this kid has potential to be, like, what I'm looking for. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, let's see how bad he wants it. And, but do you and, think and, he would have said something though? Like called him out? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah but, and I think I the other think so. thing I, I think he puts that in his back pocket. Keeps it for later. I think you know the only the other thing, so I think the one plot point we missed, which I think this is actually interesting because it keeps on coming back in the movie, is after Fletcher invites him to be part of like the big band, that's when he goes back to the movies to uh, ask uh, the girl out on a date, what's her name in it? Um, Melissa Benoist, Benoist, she's named Nicole. So he asks her out, great scene. But it's funny because the only times he asks her out is when his confidence is built up by Fletcher. Yeah. Every time in the movie, he's afraid to talk to her. Like, you know, in that opening scene with Paul Reiser, his dad, he just sees her. He doesn't make eye contact, which they make a point to say to show he's like socially awkward. And great moment where he's like riffing with her. He asks her out and she's like, oh, and then he feels so uncomfortable. They play that scene great, a great little meet cute for them. Um, and then they get the, the pizza. Did now does he have that first practice before or after their date? Before. Before. So they go to that pizza place and they keep on like it, you clearly this is when I like the moment I clocked in that like Teller has that extra gear where he like has zero charisma with her per se. I mean it's, he picks up to it later as the scene progressed, they get more comfortable with each other. But, like, you see him in every other movie. He's, like, the money, right? The moment he walks in, you get you get it. And then this, he does a great job playing, like, you can believe why a guy who's, like, relatively, like, clearly handsome, not relatively, clearly handsome, like Teller, has problem with girls. You believe this character, like, he can only talk about jazz drumming. That's the only, that's the only thing he can talk about. Well, that's what I think is really impressive, in a way, about his performance and this movie, is that on paper, he is so unlikable. Like, we'll talk about the dinner scene later. I mean, clearly Jazz is his whole life and he just has to rip on everybody else. And then the way that he later on dumps Nicole is just like, yeah, no, you're wasting my time. I need to focus on Jazz. And then like even the small details later on in the movie where he's he's at he's at like the coffee shop and the waitress comes and asks if he needs something. He's very rude to her. And it's just like small things like that. Like, there's really like, he doesn't say anything that makes him likable, but the entire audience is cheering for him throughout the movie. 
And I almost feel like what the movie is doing is, is it's showing you like, this is a bad thing to be like overly obsessed with, with something and be overly competitive and everything like that. But at the same time, the movie makes the audience kind of get behind him and kind of feeds into that like irrational drive to be the best at something that is like I, literally killing him, you know? I so, don't like, know if that's, I don't know if the movie is for or against it per se. I think the movie yeah. might, I could see the argument that the movie is, is worth it. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. But it's, it's asking that question is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think that to me is impressive about the way that this is written is that Teller is not likable really um, in this movie. Well, he is, but like on paper. I, I think it's like, dead. to your point, like he's like unintentionally, he's like, yeah, he's, he's unintentionally like, like unlikable in the sense like that first conversation, he's like, why, why'd you go to this college? Why, what are you planning doing? And she's like a normal 18 year old. She's like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And he can't understand that because yeah. he's only ever wanted to do one thing. And because of that, that's what's always made him probably unpopular. That's why the other kids in the band don't like him. I, um, I, I actually, I don't even think it's on paper. I think he is just unlikable in the movie and it leads to, I don't know if I'm just a weirdo, but I find some of the interactions, especially between him and the girl, very funny. Like when he breaks up with her, I think that's hilarious that <laughs> she's like, uh, you want to be great. And he's like, I want to be one of the greats. And then she says, and I would prevent you from doing that. And he's like, yeah, exactly. You get it. And like <laughs> thinks that it's like a good thing. It's just, it's hilarious to me. I think now maybe this is the the one qualm and it's not, it's not like a big one, but the one qualm I maybe have with the movie is that it's about the sacrifice for greatness, right? That's like, kind of like, what, what is it worth it? And I think there's an argument for or against it is what he does worth it to be like a legend. And I feel like, the relationship he has, I almost wonder if it would work better if they were dating at the beginning, because when he does break up with her, it's about it's about his naivety, right? Like he does not have to break up with her. Or they're not really that serious in a relationship. Michael, I do wonder, have, do you think they've slept with each other until that point? I do wonder at that point. But I think it's like highlighting his naivete. But I also feel like sacrifice would make more sense if they had been dating for a while and then he broke up with her, because it also is like, He's not, he thinks he's sacrificing something, but at that point he's, he is, a sacrifice is being made, like his personal life, but if that relationship was a little bit stronger and more like, you know, more, uh, I can't think, for lack of a better word, if it was more, if it was stronger, then I feel like his sacrifice would have more poignance versus, but I think it's also making comment on his naivete, so it kind of plays. Yeah. And so then, we are we're at the the very first practice and you know it, it it's it's very weird that you know you were talking a little bit about the the sugar than the sour we do get the sour right away when he kicks Mets out uh you know he has that that breakdown where someone's out of tune and uh he he blames it on Mets and you do see that you know he's like what are you looking for a happy meal i've been carrying your ass for too long and then, you know, the reveal that Mets wasn't even out of tune. He just kicked him out. And then immediately he's like, when we come back, the squeaker's on. I'd be terrified if I was Teller. And then Simmons turns the charm on him. Well, and I think that's, but that's the moment you first realize he's a psychopath. When he does that to to 
the, to that guy because he clearly he did it just because he didn't like him because he says, you know, you, you weren't the one, he wasn't the one out to him. You were, but he didn't know, which is just as bad. And then, which is a bozo argument. Cause it was like, no, but why didn't you go after the guy that was out of tune? That doesn't make any sense. Like it's a, it's an incredible line and it's a great moment in the movie, but it just shows you like the way his brain works is he's like, he's, he's on another level. Yeah. And yeah. like, I, go for it. I mean, I don't mean to pick nits here or whatever. I, I didn't love that, that, that he just kicked him out for no real reason. I mean, it does show that he's a psychopath, but like, that's not making his band better. And it's such a weird psychological game to play. So like the guy who actually was out of tune, he, he was like, Oh, you can stay there. You're good. And it was the only time that I felt like, even though he was harsh and he was a monster and I don't condone anything that he said to anybody in this movie, but for the most part, what he was saying, he was trying to make the band better. In this case, it was the only time in the movie where I was like, he's not really making the band better here. He's just messing with people. And I feel like, sure, he messed with people throughout the rest of the movie, but in general, it was like, okay, I could see why he's trying to mess with this person. In this case, I was like, it was the only time where I was like, did he, that, that just seemed unnecessary to me. And I think the scene could have worked without it being a, oh, by the way, he wasn't the one out of tune. I think it could have worked without that. I think, yeah. I think it plays, my only thing is I think it plays is because he's making a point for the rest of the band now is going to be thinking, going to make a point to be in tune because they don't want to be that guy. So it's like, it's a Machiavellian way to do it. And I think it's just, the line's incredible because you almost know it's coming when he's like, he wasn't out of tune because it's just a great little aside, just like a little surprise shock to the audience. But I think ultimately that's maybe, the argument against his method is that he's so sour and the sweetness is always so little that at some point, you know, he's always messing with you. Like when Teller has to play for like, you know, against the three guys for an hour, he's like, you're in the part, you know, he's doing it to mess with them. It has nothing to do with whether or not he's actually performing with them. He just thinks he's punishing him. And he does that to an extent where, but this is the argument. 99% of people will be like, this guy's just messing with me. There's no way I can please him. And then you check out. And maybe that half a percent of people, with that weird thing going in their brain, it'll motivate them. Maybe that's the argument he's making. Well, um, I guess for devil's advocate's sake, we don't know if Mets was just trash at the last competition or something and he needed, you know, to get him out of there. But talking about how Fletcher's brain works, we see that. And so we immediately, we get the, the classes taking a break. He tracks down Andrew and he just gets all the ammo he's going to need just by being nice to him. It's like, Oh, you know, musicians in the family. No, my dad's a writer. Oh, I guess he's like kind of a teacher. Oh, like, no, my mom don't really know what she's doing. She kind of left. And, but even then it's backhanded. He's like, your dad's a teacher college. And he's like, no high school. <laughs> like, like he's cutting him down in small ways, even when he's building him up. Right. But he's getting all that ammo. And then he's, you know, he gives him the, you're here for a reason, right? Like, I want you to say it. He's like, I'm here for a reason. And he's playing, they get him back in there and he's doing the fills and just Buddy Rich on the drums. And then we get the first taste of, you know, the, I, I think it might be the iconic scene in the movie that he's just not, not quite my tempo. Yeah. Are you rushing or dragging? Yeah. So good. I, I, I just I, like, yeah. Go ahead. Quote, I'm going to use that moving forward. Like 
if people are playing music to me that they're like, oh, you got to check out this song. I'm just going to start saying it's not quite my tempo. I, I don't know. I think it's such a good way to do that. But, well, it's genius because at first you're not sure if he's messing with them or not. And that's like, I think that's also the genius of him in the sense that you sometimes he he is serious and sometimes he's just messing with you. I, I get why Chazelle made it so you couldn't tell if that if he was actually early or late. But do you wish you could actually tell? You could be like, oh, I think he was early that time. Because every time it sounded perfect to me. And maybe I just don't have the ear. And I'm not, you know, the the head teacher at Schaefer. But I I, I kind of wish that, like, I could have said, like, oh, he was late there. Or he was early there. Instead of just, like, seeing J.K. Simmons freak out when he's pretty much on time every time, it seems like. I yeah. think, Nick, because you got to be in the headspace of Neiman. Naaman, you're you're feeling what he's feeling where he doesn't know. He gets to a point yeah. where he's just playing, you know, he's just playing. Yeah. And whatever he's gonna do, it's the wrong answer. Yeah. If you don't I mean, want him even to be aware that he's actually early or late, it's just he's just freaking out. Yeah. Like I like I said at the top, I've seen this movie probably more than I've seen in almost any other movie. The chair throw like gets me every time. And then the other thing that shocks me is like when he's like count. And he's like, one, two, three, slaps him. One, two, three, slaps him. And just like hitting him hard in the face. That shocks me every time. It's like, was, is that I, what he's, I, so, was I dragging? Does he say, to, is that like, are you one of those single tier people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, can you can also imagine. That's, like, a great, that's a great line. <laughs> it would be so awkward to be in that class when that's going on. Because you've like been in those situations where somebody's just going over the edge and you're just like, like someone of authority. And you're just like, what are we supposed to be doing right now? Because then you're just supposed to pretend like nothing's up and just play. Does it get unbelievable though? Like, like it's 2014, you know, like, like I've heard stories of like, you know, you. Well, he ultimately gets fired. So it does eventually catch up to him. Right. Like nuns would like slap kids with like rulers and stuff. And there would be like physical punishment, like in the the 60s and 70s, you know, that was the thing. This movie came out in 2014 and this guy is slapping kids that are paying to go to this school. Like, is it is it a little unbelievable? Like, I, I kind of think Simmons could have been very nasty and very mean, and it still would have come across just fine. I don't know. The, the slap was no. just... Extreme. I buy it. I buy, I buy it. In the world of the movie, it makes sense. You believe yeah. that you don't want to... It's, a, it's the kind of thing... Well, it's almost like that the whole power thing. Like, you don't want to be the student to, you know, tell on him because that might, you know, like you'll lose your spot, you'll lose your chair because it's so yeah. hyper competitive. So you, you, and I, you know, you've been in those situations where someone of like a, a power and authority like that, like you can, you want to convince yourself, oh, he's doing it to make us better, or you just hate the guy, or you burn out and drop out, yeah. which I think happens clearly. That ends up happening with most of his people. Yeah, uh, I guess a quick fact, and it may be obvious just from the scene, but that Simmons was actually slapping Miles Teller in that scene. I guess they did a few takes of not slapping and then Teller said, bring it on. We we got to make this more real. So I thought that was pretty that's cool. Sick. It plays. I feel like that scene, because this is probably the scene where it's because it's a scene where you see, see JK Simmons going all out. And this is probably the scene where he's looking the most jacked because he's like throwing stuff around. He's yelling, the veins are popping. Ooh, and you just, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off. I think that the scene where he looks the most jacked is the the three drummer double time swing play faster that's when he's really in his bag for me he's, he's throwing really stuff <laughs> he's got the cowbell next to his head just banging it 
going full Robert Irvine. So what's that? So so next the next we have are they doing their first uh, first uh, competition? First, first competition. Okay. Yeah. So this is where they have the infamous the folders. Obviously, we just got to ask, what do we think happened with the folder? I think Simmons took it. I think Teller took it. it- Ooh, I feel like here's my thing. I didn't until this recent rewatch. I was kind of I I I had I kind of just thought oh maybe it just got taken away. I feel like if it was Teller, they would have showed it because the movie's kind of from his perspective, and that's such a big thing to not show him do. So I kind of lean towards Simmons did it because he's so Machiavellian. He's he's like setting everybody up, but also to Simmons' point. Why did he give him the folder? <laughs> like when he gives it to him in real time, you know that folder's not coming back. <laughs> like what? What was the point? <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, it's kind of a play because Simmons seems to know everything and about these guys, and he probably knows the drummer needs his sheet music. So it it may have been a play of like, dude, you need to practice more, and you need to be able to play this by heart. Um, to Tanner, I guess his name was. Yeah. So, and you know what's yeah. interesting too is like, John, I, I remember, it's the I only think- music where people have sheet music because like every other live performer it's memorized. I feel like for the most part, it's only like orchestras where you notice that, which I, that's, I only thought about it because I was watching this. Yeah. But John, you're right. I mean, Teller, he's breaking hearts and he's doing, he's doing like, I guess, uh, unseemly things to get right. to the top. Right. So like, I could see him doing something like that where he purposely loses it. The first time I watched the movie, I definitely thought that uh, Fletcher took it. Uh, the more I watched it, yeah, I was just convinced that this kid was convinced he was the best and was like, I'm never going to get a shot. I know that this guy can't read music. I'm getting rid of it. They have to put me in because if you, if you notice when he's like, Fletcher's like, I don't give a shit Tanner, get up there and play the song. And he's like, I can't, it's a memory thing. Neiman immediately medical condition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Teller immediately says, I know it. I know it by heart. Every measure. So like he was waiting for this moment. Yeah. And he I goes. Think he was. I just I feel like they would have showed it if he took it. Because that's such a huge character moment. If he did, it would feel it feel strange. I feel like later in the movie, his like the guy that tackles him on stage would do that. I that's feel like true. he's still a little too green to do it at that point. Yeah. He's like he's like sipping on a cherry coke, like chilling. Like you know, he's like at this point, he's just like I'm happy to be in the big band. I want to make Fletcher really happy with me, and that's it. He's I think he's like he's not looking for that upper tier yet. But he's he a freshman. Of it, he gets a taste of it at this performance, and then he starts turning into this different person. Yeah, because it's a long game, right? Like you're a freshman, you're not expecting. You know, yeah. I think I think if you're him, you know you're better than the guy, so eventually you you'll win out. Imagine um, like. The freshman quarterback, uh, like hiding the all like the Heisman quarterbacks like helmet or something. That would be like the equivalent of this. Like, that happens. What, that what happens movie does that happen? Lights, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we get straight into, you know, everything changes. That's when uh, he walks in the very next day. Well, but when does he say turn my pages, bitch? way later oh that's what is that is that miles yeah. teller who says it yes uh um, i got twisted i gave this guy too much credit <laughs> yeah so we get to uh we we walk in 
and all the guys are giving Teller shit. They're like, never touch my bolt, my folder. Like you're never seeing my folder. And then uh, Fletcher walks in and he says, Tanner, what the hell are you doing? Like I've only have time for core members today. I think one of his great performances, that guy Tanner's is when he says, you do not touch this kit. You do not touch it. <laughs> you see like he's so fired up. And yes. Instantly, instantly Fletcher takes it away. <laughs> You really see Teller get his swagger, and then we go into, again, like I said, this guy's a dick, and it's never more evident than the dinner scene, which is my one of my favorite scenes in this movie. It's so good. It's funny how, like, just, well, it's a, it's a great example of, like, his whole world is jazz, and it is, to be fair, it is something that most people aren't interested in, right? Like, 75, like, if you're going to, get set at a dinner table more people will be interested in somebody's college football tales versus the jazz thing but what he, what they don't understand is these guys are like his cousins are exceeding at their version of you know they're they're playing what is a d3 football which is you know it's a very cool thing to do that's what they're into but he's like don't you guys understand i'm one of the best in the world and then they're also like even but the, even then they're like okay that's, that's cute <laughs> He's getting no respect. Even and and then you also feel bad. This is Paul Reiser giving a great performance to the dad. You just see the uncle, who's plays one of the great deputies in a uh, uh, First Blood Rambo. Uh, he, he's he's like kind of giving. You can tell that his entire life, the dad was like probably like that brother was like you know kind of belittled him, and he just kind of accepts it. That's why he doesn't even like when he tries to stand up for his son. He doesn't. It's like he kind of gets talked over, and I just love that Teller. Now that he's actually, he's always thought he's the best. Now that he's got some confirmation that he's the best, that now he's just like, I'm just going to say it. And he railroads them. And then you just leave, which leads into the great line from the uncle. You got many friends in college? Oh, and okay. Yeah. And then he goes, no. And then he's like, why is that? I don't know. I never saw the use. And then the uncle just goes, Lennon and McCartney, they were uh, school boy, school buddies, right? And then he just goes, Charlie Parker didn't know anyone until he got his symbol thrown in his head. <laughs> it just shows you guys always, because there's also like that, like even, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, like kind of cheesy to say, but yeah, the Beatles were friends. You can do it. You don't have to be Charlie Parker. <laughs> but that's what, but I also like that Teller's like, no, I want to be dead at 34 due to a heroin overdose because I'll always be remembered. I'll be Which is, we're talking about him. I mean, what a ridiculous statement. <laughs> I think, I don't know. There's an argument to be made. I get what he's saying in that, like, I think there's, I mean, one, I disagree in the sense that from like Teller's point of view, the fact your friends will remember you and that does matter in a big way. Right. And he doesn't appreciate that aspect of life, but at the same time, yeah. people are talking about Charlie Parker in the movie whiplash in 2014. Now also to be fair, most people didn't know who Charlie Parker was if they hadn't seen whiplash. Now, if you're in jazz, you know, who he is, I mean, I, I, I know I, I, I don't, don't want to harp on it. I was fourth chair clarinet. So I'd heard of him, but <laughs> they like, it's just a, it just shows you just the way people value people have different values and they and when I, like that things that they value yeah. and the fact that he just has no care for the value of a human interaction it's oh. so sad but also you understand why he's going to be a really good drummer and like you know so, I, 
the, this this has so much good writing. The dialogue during this scene is just incredible where he literally does say, I'd rather die drunk broke at 34 and have people talk about a talk at a dinner table about me than live to be rich sober in 90 and no one remembers who I was. And then his uncle goes, Travis and Dustin, they have plenty of friends. And he's like, I'm sure they'll make great school board presidents. <laughs> But the best line then he makes a line about he, he he takes a dig at him for the d3 football thing and then the guy's like why don't you come and play with us and just the the best comeback for an air quotes a dumb person <laughs> like yeah. you know that guy's like i nailed the comeback but it's such a corny comeback well that's a, i think his problem is a normal person would be able to have i can hear them talk about football because it is cool of course they want to talk about them doing well in their football and you can also talk about the jazz now to be fair they belittle him which is why he reacts so harshly but like in a in an uh, in a healthy family environment, everybody can be talking about their successes without yeah. that. It clearly isn't that. That's not what they, they're. In. That's they not the kind of family they're in. They didn't overtly belittle him. It was more like they they actually asked him about how the jazz thing was going. They, but they said it in a way. They it said it like, "How's that music thing going?" Like they 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 are. Yeah, and it ended the conversation. But at least they asked about it. They didn't say like they didn't say like, "Oh, good luck." like finding a job after that or something you know it was it was not like a true belittling but but it was like a, i guess a little disrespectful that he i think it's, it's yeah if somebody of a higher emotional intelligence than him would be able yeah. to show them why it's important you like you you have to make the yeah. if they don't get it you you have to find a way to do it he just immediately goes on the attack mode because i think he's probably seen his father get belittled by that guy his whole life and then it just he just happens to be at a table where people are just throwing around one-liners that are so good. <laughs> it, it was at this scene, and maybe it took me too long, but I wrote down, like, this is the dangers of making your life about one thing. Like, yeah, you, you turn into somebody who cannot socialize with anybody. His dad continues to support him, but that's it. That's, like, all he's got in his life at this point that, like, cares about him or that he shows any kind of regard to other than jazz and Charlie Parker and Buddy Hill. Right. Like to me, this is what really shows it. But I had just, I had a thought, like, I wonder how much, I don't know much about Damien Chazelle, but I wonder like, this is his first big movie. Right. And he's very young. He's been trying to like, trying to get money to make this movie. I wonder if like, there's any, I wonder if Miles Teller is maybe a reflection of Damien Chazelle in a way where he's like so focused on making movies and writing great movies and he hasn't had his chance yet and he thinks he could be great. And maybe there's like a, a bit of that going on where like um, Chazelle is like personified a little bit through Andrew Neiman's character. And I maybe... think at the least the drive is there. The, the, the drive. I, I feel like Chazelle, just because a director has to interact with so many people, he clearly probably has better people skills. Yeah, but I think there's, yeah. but like, it's also proven out that like he believed in himself and he manifested it with this movie. I think just like the idea that he did the short film, he does this. And then he immediately, what, after this big hit, what does he do? He does a music the first like big musical mainstream Hollywood's done, had in a minute outside of, you know, greatest, the greatest showman happened before or after. I'm not sure. But after. like, the the musical chairs scene is like what i call it because he's just like Connolly get off the kit like neiman earn the part neiman get off the kit uh tanner earn the part and then he's like i apologize i apologize to the musicians guys take five ten get a coffee take a dump <laughs> like i'll be here all night if i have to and they, they just play for hours and hours and they're all bleeding and sweating and this is another part where like the 
things that Fletcher's saying to these people, just screaming right in their face is so good. Um, and they're sweating love- so much. They're, I love that it's like, it's like the physical, t- it's the only instrument where you can tell like it would be tiring to have to play as fast as you can for so long like stuff like that. And they've already done a great, I think one of the better things he does is whenever he shows Teller practicing, those are always, those like montages are shot so cool. Like when his hand's bloody and he sticks it into the ice water and stuff like that. So, you know, he's been preparing for this moment, but even then we've seen him practicing, but he pushes him past the limit of the practices we've seen where he's putting the bandages on his hands and this and that. Yeah. And I mean, um, we do see the, 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 uh, a practicing montage as you alluded to earlier where he he is he's bleeding he's putting on the band-aids and he eventually just punches right through the snare drum uh that ruled yeah that was pretty tight uh, <laughs> like i wonder like can you like would that hurt i never it's one of those things like as a kid you always like tap on a drum but like i never know like you could actually punch through it <laughs> yeah but uh so so then you know he finally earns the part that Shout out Connolly for moving the chair. He, he raises the, stool. the chair. <laughs> and like, is this so? I gotta say this because it's a call out to one of our previous episodes. Is this where he says, Turn my pages, Johnny Utah? No, 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 no. So that's at the, the competition. We do need to talk about that though, because where did that come from? I like, know that we'll get it doesn't there. even like make sense. Like, if the guy looked like Keanu, it would play, it would make more sense. I love it, yeah. So we needed. Well, let's save that because I really want to talk about Table that. that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he just tells Tanner and Connolly to clean the blood off his kit so they can start rehearsal. <laughs> like, I'm so pissed if I'm in the other room just waiting for that because I feel like don't they like start practice at two a.m. Yeah, yeah, and so then we get to the uh, scene where. He takes the bus. So he's like, everybody, you got to be there. Leave two hours early. He takes the bus. This is a classic, like, so here's my problem. Here's my nitpick with this movie. You guys had the the whole kicking Mets out of the band. Get it, get a team bus. Or like, they don't travel together. The best in the country. Yeah. That's the only thing that I was wondering, like, I also feel like I would have taken the subway. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I guess it was far enough away that that you had to take a bus, which at that point, they definitely need a team bus to travel. But it also, for the plot, they needed to happen. And I'm fine with it. Even, and I will say, like, with the Mets thing, I think it plays because it just shows the arbitrariness of his method. Because I think his method is flawed, clearly. <laughs> but also, it's kind of like, um, who was the, like, uh, did you guys watch the uh king richard right where they're like uh they're just he's justifying the way he like coached his daughters and they became great and i'm like that it's not a pro it's not like a style that could ever been replicated it just everything came together so it worked but you can't just do what he did with another set of like sisters and expect that result and i feel like that's kind of what jk simpson's doing he just needs that very specific kind of student who it work? Who will get motivated? Who won't quit? And is the question is is that is that the guy that's going to be one of the greatest of all time, which proves his method, or did he just happen to find a guy who was one of the greatest of all time, anyways? So it's you know wasn't necessarily his method that works. That's who's to say. But I do love like 
the bus breaks down and I, I was always confused when that first happens because you think that it's the team bus and then he's like oh you had to call a cab yourself he doesn't call a cab this is the there's this is probably the sloppiest part of the whole movie because then he goes to rent a car everybody knows you can't rent a car until you're 25 <laughs> and then he, they literally make mention that he's 19 years old earlier yeah it's like things that like i don't really care because it leads that was, to a, sketchy rent, that was a sketchy car rental place though i mean they might have let it fly like yeah. how early is he there like if they're not even open he's like open up open up i like it because i play because it the reason it works is that the stakes are so high and it's so tense like uncut gems vibes where everything's happening so quickly and he's rushing and you're just like, oh, he's got to, you're just, you're more worried about how is he going to make it on time than he's thinking of dragging. Him. Yeah. Is he not, is he dragging her? <laughs> but then, so he gets there and he's like sweating and they're like, where are you? And he's got the flip phone. He's making phone calls. So I guess we confirm he does have a flip phone because he keeps on like making calls. Like, don't worry, I'm on the way. He drives the 10, it's a 10 minute drive. So I almost feel like he was better off just jogging it out. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, going and renting a car. <laughs> but he gets there and then they have that great. I am like surprised that Fletcher even like humors him. That he like, that's where they, okay. So let's get into it. The Johnny Utah. Yeah. Like, okay. So I thought they would just shut him down, but they have a whole, they have an argument. This is when Taylor's full tilt. Right. Phil, full tilt. And he's like, sorry, but I'm here. And he's like, Connolly's playing the part. He's like, fuck yeah he's for fuck right he's playing the part that's my part and he's like that's my part like and i give it out and then Connolly says something i don't even remember and we get he's grinning grinning in the background he's like happy (laughs) but he says something and that's when we get the iconic fuck you johnny utah turn my pages bitch And Fletcher's like Johnny Utah's playing the part. And it just made no sense to me. It never makes sense to me. Like I said, I've dissected this movie. I think it's got to be Chazelle. It's just a call out. He's like, Point Break's one of the best movies ever made. I'm just going to call it out right here and just put it in this movie for no reason. It's it's one of the most memorable lines. I love it. Because he says it, you know what he means. Like, it's like that, it's that young punk thing, you know, young dumb full come. <laughs> that is the definition of Connolly. <laughs> and so it like plays to some it's extent. Like but it's like, yeah, I mean, we he doesn't look anything like Keanu. Like, Keanu's never really playing second fiddle to anybody in that movie. Like, it just makes no sense. Like, and I would think that it was like an ad lib, but I just put up the screenplay and it, it is in the script, underlined, literally underlined that Johnny Utah, like he goes out of his way to emphasize that he wants him to just nail this line. <laughs> and I think it, it totally plays. And I think the only thing that's crazy is that after they have that exchange, he's like, oh, we're going on in 30 minutes. If you're not on stage, you're not on stage. And I'm like, what? <laughs> after that? But maybe he liked that he had that dog in him. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, wanted- also like the idea that he doesn't have his sticks. Which is great. It's a great detail. But I'm also like, I don't know that Fletcher would notice that he doesn't have his sticks on him. Like, maybe he put him down on the way in. But I like that, like, Connolly's like, you're not using my sticks. That kind of, maybe is that what Connolly tells him? He's like, no, you're not using my that, sticks. That, that's what it is. Yeah. And then he gets the, fuck you, Johnny Utah. Turn my pages, bitch. That's just so good. And I love his, I'm looking at the script. I'm just loving it. Every line's incredible. I can't read any of them. But then he, I just love that. <laughs> My like Teller's delivery of like after they kind of settle that like he'll he he can do it. He says, "It's my part. I'll be on the stage." <laughs> and he just dips out. And he has ten minutes and he, to get there and back. You know it's tight if he's gonna make it or not. And then this, I think it's all worth it for him speeding down the road. And then when he just gets 
sideline just out of nowhere by that car and flipped. And you're shook to your core because you can feel the moment and you know what it all means to him. But the mo- a lesser movie would fade to black and like he's in the hospital or something. The idea that he stands up, then the guy's like, are you okay? And he's like, oh, I got to get my sticks. He's like, do not go back in the car. It's going to explode. <laughs> he gets the sticks and he just starts running like Forrest Gump. <laughs> he's like, I was running. <laughs> he just <laughs> makes it. And then when he gets there, he's covered in blood. And they let him on stage. Covered him. Props to the guys though that they're not in his chair. They're like giving him critical credit to Connolly yeah. and the other guy are like, it's his chair until the concert starts. And then, you know, he obviously he's covered in blood. He can't hold the sticks. He drops one of them. And then he gets the you're done. And then he attacks Fletcher on stage. It's so good. Yeah. The 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 just a good is, form tackle. If we're gonna talk about g- good sports moments, what do you guys think about the tackle? It's it's a full body tackle. Honestly, the my issue with it when I watched it happen, I was like, dude, J.K. Simmons is gonna rock that kid. Like he's like, get off me, get off. I'm like, dude, he's putting him in like a full Nelson, like flipping him around, like doing the people's so, elbow on him. Like he's so jacked in this movie. There's no way this kid is gonna like take out Fletcher. But five so. years later in the text, he would be he would be like MMA on the weekends. This like <laughs> yeah, came out five years right. later. Like you would yeah. understand that that's a thing that he does. Yeah. I will say the only thing that I think gives Teller a shot is he's a Philly guy. He's got that crazy Philly in him. So maybe he could come out like that's a tackle you see a guy that's drank like 12 natural lights do in the uh Eagles parking lot at a tailgate for <laughs> game. And I think it's also a little bit like in the text that this is a guy who is really mean to people below him, right? Like people that like he he over he uses his power in a messed up way. So I don't think he believes for a moment one of the kids are gonna attack him. I mean, nobody would anyways think someone's gonna tackle you like that. Yeah. But like and it's like it's so good though. Like it's a good he hit. drops the stick and he can't reach it, and it's just like falling apart. And then Neiman's then then Fletcher's a total jerk about it. The tackle happens and he doesn't like I can't get why he wouldn't fight back. He I don't think he's a guy that regularly gets in fights like with his peers. I feel like when that guy was a student. He probably was kind of a guy. Maybe I feel like somebody was probably really mean to him, like that kind of created the bully in him. But I don't know if he goes to a bar and he's not a guy that gets in bar fights. I feel like he, if he has power over you, then he's a psycho. Yeah. And so that does bring us to the psycho moment because the next big scene is the reveal that, uh, that they want him to, testify against Fletcher because the reveal that Sean Casey did not uh, die in a car accident. He killed himself. That's another thing. I think it's really interesting that he made a point to play that CD and it wasn't that he like, like obscured how he died. He lied about how he died. He said he died in a car accident and that shows a different level to him because he could have said he passed away. He didn't have to explain that. And I think that's almost him being in denial where he knows he was a factor, because why else would you know? If somebody commits suicide in that way, you wouldn't, most teachers would be like, it was my fault. They would say, if you're going to, one, you probably wouldn't say how he died, you'd just say he passed away. But if you were going to say he, you know, he committed suicide or whatnot, you would say that. You wouldn't make up how he died unless you knew that you were a factor in that death, I feel like. And that's how you know there's a real monster in him, that he recognizes he was a factor in that happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that it is funny though. Like the, but like I like that 
Teller has that great moment. One of the, maybe the best, one of the best bits of acting from him when he turns to his dad after the woman's asking, like, will you testify against Fletcher? And he looks at his dad and says, how could you do this to me? And then Paul Reiser just brings it. He's like, you're the most important thing in my life. Of course it is. He's like his only son. His wife left them when they were younger. Like he's his world. And the idea that he views, he still doesn't recognize that Fletcher is a villain. And he thinks of his dad as a villain in that moment because he's become so twisted by what Fletcher's been doing to him. Yeah. And, um, you know, they get the, the, we have the line where it's like the Casey's aren't like a family of means. They're not looking for any like financial thing. And they're like, well, what do they want then? And it's like, just to make sure that Terrence Fletcher never does this to another student. Um, yeah, but like plays. You said, I think it plays. And I brought it, I brought it up earlier. This guy's just dad of the year, like to the max. You could see how much he loves his kid. And then like Neiman's not in school anymore. He's got to live. Well they, well, they have that great moment though, where you show the, the moment where he realizes he does need to go against Fletcher is when he watches a video of himself as a kid playing the drum set. Yeah. And he realizes he used to do it because he loved it versus doing it out of some weird drive to be a legend, not even the best to be a legend. And he just sees that he realizes that that was taken from him. And that's what ultimately turns him against Fletcher. And it it's almost heartbreaking that you see later on when he like he has the drum kit inside his closet. He like has stopped playing when it's how how, how far does it skip ahead? Doesn't, doesn't say like doesn't say. I assume it's uh, months later though, right? That's that's I, kind of the vibe we get. Yeah, the 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 majority of the action takes place in the fall semester. And this is after this is in the spring that like his dad is hooking him up. He filled up the pantry with gushers at his new apartment. So <laughs> I've, got, I've got the probably the best take I've had, I think, yet on this podcast. The gusher scene, I was so happy. He loads up the pantry with gushers. I'm like, that's just incredible. This dad is the best. But right then I said, it looks like this kid is going to stop playing drums. His dad's filling up the pantry with gushers. And I said to myself, this is the Dale Doback origin story. The freaking, the guy from Step Brothers who plays <laughs> the drums and he lives with his dad for the rest of his life. I was like, this is the Dale Doback story right now. Like, this is what they were going for. It was inevitable. I think, you know, it's funny too. I got, I did have a, I, I had a whole, we had to do a gusher sidebar because I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie. Whoever the marketing geniuses behind gushers and fruit roll-ups, it is candy. There is no, there's nothing about it other than the fact that it's candy, yeah, but somebody convinced mothers that they can put it in lunch boxes and it's not candy. It's something different. It's, it's like, it's, yeah, sugar. With, fruit by the foot. <laughs> fruit roll-ups. Just putting fruit in the name when there's nothing di that differentiates that from like Sour Patch Kids. It's yeah. the same thing. But because they marketed it as something that goes in lunch baskets, lunch boxes, it's it works. And I credit where credit's due. I don't fault them for it. I love them as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also like, I was thinking about like, I couldn't imagine just having gushers with lunch every day. That's a crazy thing to do. <laughs> but, you know. And then we got... Um, so then this is the scene that I think J.K. Simmons wins his Oscar for, the the bar scene. Um, you Neiman walking down the, the street, eating a slice of pizza, sees that Terrence Fletcher's playing that night, pops into the bar to watch him play. Fletcher sees him, and then they have this. To me, it's it's the writing is so good. 
the the interaction between the two of them is so good and we don't know at this point yet that Fletcher knows that Andrew's the reason he doesn't teach anymore. And he well, it's he, funny too because the detention in that scene, Teller barely says a, a word. I think during that entire time, it's just him explaining to it, and him. You can tell, like in his mind, he's wondering, does he know? Does he know? And then eventually, he accepts that he doesn't know, and he gives himself over to the conversation, and he's like, "I'm on board with this guy." Yeah, I think like you know, he brings up the, oh, I'm not teaching. Um, and he's like, oh no, like, I think he's going to tell him. And then he's like, yeah, I guess someone talked. Um, and then that's the part where, yeah, you think that he's going to be like, I know it was you, but then he gets onto the whole thing about, I need to push people past what is expected of them. That's what I was doing. You know, he, he has the line about, uh, the good job that I did at the the front of the podcast that that's the most two or the the worst words in the English language. And the, the best part for me was like when he was justifying it with the whole Charlie Parker, not being discouraged or going home and crying, you know, he, he goes and he plays the best uh, solo that the place had ever seen a year later. And Neiman asks him, is there a line like some, can you cross a line where you actually prevent the next Charlie Parker from wanting it. And Fletcher's like, no man, because the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. And like that, that hit me. I was like, damn. Yeah. Cause it's when Neiman says it, you're like, I mean, he's got a great point, you know, like there's no rebuttal to that. And then he has a rebuttal. He says, no man, cause he would never be discouraged. And he was so ready to say it. I thought that, but that you know, it's like, but that's when you feel the, the next scene, you see that the drum kits in the closet. So he was discouraged to the point that he quit. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I know I'm just saying, I feel like that part of the movie, like that dialogue, like was what the movie was about ultimately. Yeah. It's a thesis statement. Yeah. 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 And so I like, like I said, that, that, that's why I think Simmons won the Oscar. I think he's so good in that scene. And then he asks him that then, then we do get a little reveal where he's like, I'm getting together some players for this concert. You know, it's a big thing. And he's like, well, what about Connolly? And he's like, Connolly was only ever a pawn, like to push you harder. And Tanner had a mental breakdown and quit drumming. Quit drumming. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I think it's so interesting is that he does that speech and then you realize he quit. That's because that's the next moment yeah. is you see the drum kit is in the closet. So I'm like, and I think, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a, there's whole arguments to be made. We'll get to that when we get to that final moment, but I think it's a real, it's a, I mean, it's an incredible scene where he, they do lay out the ideas of the movie, but you do wonder, I think they both have great points. I think Naaman makes a great point. And then his comeback is true to an extent, but also I don't know though. there's, I can see both sides being right. What, like what it takes to be, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's the Michael Jordan, um, the last dance when he does that speech at the end of it and he's like starts tearing up about like, I wasn't nice. You know, I did what I had to do because, and people that said that I, I went too far, they didn't win the way I did. And so there's something to be said about it, but also there's a dehumanizing aspect. So it's the cost is, is the cost of greatness worth it. And I think that's where it comes. And that's where we lead into the, well, actually though, we, before the final scene, we have that great moment where again, his confidence is back. So he calls back up the girl. Which I think, so I, I know we kind of skated over their conversation, 
do you think their relationship had like progressed to the point where they'd like slept together and were like in a relationship or were they like two dates in and then he just weirdly broke up with her? No. So I, it took me a while to catch this, but there is this really brief scene where he's on the bus and they're texting and she's like, come over after the competition's done. And so like, I do think there was some sort of relationship there. I think if I have one beef with this movie, it is, I thought that the actress was great. Um, I really thought that their chemistry was funny and like, uh, I wanted one more scene with her yeah. to like cement that the relationship was actually real. I think that's where I was going at where I was like, it's like, like a shortcut to that would have been starting out with them already dating. But I like the idea that he is so naive and he's so socially awkward that he needed to get the confidence given to him by JK Simmons to ask her out. So maybe like one more scene would have really driven home that like to show that their relationship was on another level, like they had a deep connection and he was sacrificing it because to your point, it does kind of play almost like, like a comedy when he breaks up with her. Cause it's so absurd that he's like telling her all these things when they've been together for such a brief time. Yeah. But then it's heartbreaking that he like finally has the confidence and he invites her, even though, even when he's doing it, you're like, this sounds so bad. He's like, I'm sorry. It's so awkward. And then she does the, well, uh, I'll have to ask my boyfriend if we can come to your concert. And you're just like, oh, yeah, it's just pain, just pain deep inside. Yeah, just so brutal. So you see, like, that was like his one shot at like normal normalcy. But then we so then we get to the actual um, the is it JVC. Yep. The JVC uh, production where Fletcher gathers everybody around and basically is like, if you crush this, you could have a job for life. If you screw up, your career is basically over. We get on stage. He gave Neiman the wrong songs. And he comes up and he's like, I know it was you. So good. Just the fact that's happening in the moment, like they start playing the music and he's like, got whiplash out, the titular whiplash, which you love. You love to see he's got that sheet music. And then when they start playing, and I, I do wonder, I don't know much about drums, but I do know that like, I thought like you could be able to like pick up and like. He's trying. He's trying. Yeah. <laughs> he blows it. He's even I know he's he's messing up. <laughs> like he's not close. <laughs> and then we get dad of the year again. He runs. Also, wait, wait. If you're the dad, are you being like, son, you cannot do this. <laughs> like this is insane. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not I'll a back out out there with him. Like he goes to the concert. I almost feel like the dad has to be like, I am not going to support you in this. I'll support you in anything but going back to this man who literally almost led to your death and mentally broke you to the fact, to the point that you quit the one thing you love, <laughs> but whatever parents do, Paul yeah. Reiser, he shows up. Yeah. I think he knows though, that Neiman is just so like, you're not going to change his mind. And it's like the second that his mind is made up that he wants to play for this JVC band that he, the dad's probably just like, all right, fine. You know, he's, he's just kind of given up on him. If I'm the dad, I like to have a few words. I'd like to have a few words with uh, Fletcher just to feel him out a little oh, bit, yeah. just to be like, "Hey, by the way, you're gonna like yeah. not be don't don't do what you did last time, buddy." <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so yeah, he one last hug. He walks off stage and gives one last hug, and you're like, "Shit, man! Like, is this movie really gonna end like this?" <laughs> like, and then he just walks his ass back on stage, and it's another thing. I think it's really interesting that he made a point to play that CD and it wasn't that he like, like obscured how he died. He lied about how he died. He said he died in a car accident 
And that shows a different level to him because he could have said he passed away. He didn't have to explain that. And I think that's almost him being in denial where he knows he was a factor. Cause why else would you, know? if somebody commits suicide in that way, you wouldn't most teachers would be like, it was my fault. They would say, if you're going to, one, you probably wouldn't say how he died. You'd just say he passed away. But if you were going to say he, you know, he committed suicide or whatnot, you would say that you wouldn't make up how he died unless you knew that you were a factor in that death. I feel like, and that's how, you know, there's a real monster in him that he recognizes he was a factor in that happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that it is funny though. Like the, but like, I like that Teller has that great moment. One of the, maybe the best, one of the best bits of acting from him when he turns to his dad after the woman's asking like, will you testify against Fletcher? And he looks at his dad and says, how could you do this to me? And then Paul Reiser just brings it. He's like, you're the most important thing in my life. Of course it is. He's like his only son, his wife left them when they were younger. Like he's his world. And the idea that he views, he still doesn't recognize that Fletcher is a villain. And he thinks of his dad as a villain in that moment because he's become so twisted by what Fletcher's been doing to him. Yeah. And, um, you know, they get the, the, we have the line where it's like the Casey's aren't like a family of means. They're not looking for any like financial thing. And they're like, well, what do they want then? It's like, just to make sure that Terrence Fletcher never does this to another student. Um, yeah, but like plays. you said, I think it plays. And I brought it, I brought it up earlier. This guy's just dad of the year, like to the max. You can see how much he loves his kid. And then like Neiman's not in school anymore. He's got to live. Well they, well, they have that great moment though, where you show the, the moment where he realizes he does need to go against Fletcher is when he watches a video of himself as a kid playing the drum set. Yeah. And he realizes he used to do it because he loved it versus doing it out of some weird drive to be a legend, not even the best to be a legend. And he just sees that he realizes that that was taken from him. And that's what ultimately turns him against Fletcher. And it it's almost heartbreaking that you see later on when he like he has the drum kit inside his closet. He like has stopped playing when it's how how, how far does it skip ahead? Doesn't, doesn't say like doesn't say. I assume it's uh, months later though, right? That's yeah, that's kind of the vibe we get. Yeah, the 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 majority of the action takes place in the fall semester. And this is after this is in the spring that like his dad is hooking him up. He filled up the pantry with gushers at his new apartment. So <laughs> I've got I've got the probably the best take I've had, I think, yet on this podcast. The gusher scene, I was so happy. He loads up the pantry with gushers. I'm like, that's just incredible. This dad is the best. But right then I said, it looks like this kid is going to stop playing drums. His dad's filling up the pantry with gushers. And I said to myself, this is the Dale Doback origin story. The freaking, the guy from Step Brothers who plays <laughs> the drums and he lives with his dad for the rest of his life. I was like, this is the Dale Doback story right now. Like, this is what they were going for. It was inevitable. I think, you know, it's funny too. I got, I did have a, I, I had a whole, we had to do a gusher sidebar. Cause I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie, whoever the marketing geniuses behind gushers and fruit roll-ups, it is candy. There is no, there's nothing about it other than the fact that it's candy, yeah, but somebody convinced mothers that they can put it in lunch boxes and it's not candy. It's something different. It's, it's like, it's, yeah, sugar. With, fruit by the foot. <laughs> fruit roll-ups. Just putting fruit in the name when there's nothing di that differentiates that from like Sour Patch Kids. It's yeah. the same thing. But because they marketed it as something that goes in lunch baskets. 
lunch boxes it's it works and i credit where credit's due i don't fault them for it i love them as a kid <laughs> but i'm also like i was thinking about like i couldn't imagine just having gushers with lunch every day that's a crazy thing to do <laughs> but, you know and then we got um so then this is the scene that i think jk simmons wins his oscar for the the bar scene um you neiman walking down the the street eating a slice of pizza sees that terrence fletcher's playing that night pops into the bar to watch him play fletcher sees him and then they have this to me it's it's the writing is so good the the interaction between the two of them is so good and we don't know at this point yet that fletcher knows that andrew's the reason he doesn't teach anymore and he, well, it's he, funny too because the detention in that scene, Teller barely says a, a word. I think during that entire time, it's just him explaining to it, and him. You can tell, like in his mind, he's wondering, "Does he know? Does he know?" And then eventually, he accepts that he doesn't know, and he gives himself over to the conversation. And he's like, "I'm on board with this guy." Yeah, I think like, you know, he, he brings up the "Oh, I'm not teaching." Um, and he's like, oh, no, like, I think he's going to tell him. And then he's like, yeah, I guess someone talked. Um, and then that's the part where, yeah, you think that he's going to be like, I know it was you. But then he gets on to the whole thing about I need to push people past what is expected of them. That's what I was doing. You know, he he has the line about uh, the good job that I did at the the front of the podcast that that's the most two or the the worst words in the English language. And the, the best part for me was like when he was justifying it with the whole Charlie Parker, not being discouraged or going home and crying, you know, he, he goes and he plays the best uh, solo that the place had ever seen a year later. And Neiman asked him, is there a line like some, can you cross a line where you actually prevent the next Charlie Parker from wanting it. And Fletcher's like, no man, because the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. And like that, that hit me. I was like, damn. Yeah. Cause it's when Neiman says it, you're like, I mean, he's got a great point, you know, like there's no rebuttal to that. And then he has a rebuttal. He says, no man, cause he would never be discouraged. And he was so ready to say it. I thought that, but that you know, it's like, but that's when you feel the, the next scene, you see that the drum kits in the closet. So he was discouraged to the point that he quit. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I know I'm just saying, I feel like that part of the movie, like that dialogue, like was what the movie was about ultimately. Yeah. It's a thesis statement. Yeah. 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 And so I like, like I said, that, that, that's why I think Simmons won the Oscar. I think he's so good in that scene. And then he asks him that then, then we do get a little reveal where he's like, I'm getting together some players for this concert. You know, it's a big thing. And he's like, well, what about Connolly? And he's like, Connolly was only ever a pawn, like to push you harder. And Tanner had a mental breakdown and quit drumming. Quit drumming. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I think it's so interesting is that he does that speech and then you realize he quit. That's because that's the next moment yeah. is you see the drum kit is in the closet. So I'm like, and I think... I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a, there's whole arguments to be made. We'll get to that when we get to that final moment, but I think it's a real, it's a, I mean, it's an incredible scene where he, they do lay out the ideas of the movie, but you do wonder, I think they both have great points. I think Naaman makes a great point. And then his comeback is true to an extent, but also 
I don't know though. There's, I can see both sides being right. What, like what it takes to be, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's the Michael Jordan, um, the last dance when he does that speech at the end of it. And he's like, starts tearing up about like, I wasn't nice. You know, I did what I had to do because, and people that said that I, I went too far, they didn't win the way I did. And so there's something to be said about it, but also there's a dehumanizing aspect. So it's the cost is, is the cost of greatness worth it. And I think that's where it comes. And that's where we lead into the, well, actually though, we, before the final scene, we have that great moment where again, his confidence is back. So he calls back up the girl, which I think, so I I know we kind of skated over their conversation. Do you think their relationship had like progressed to the point where they'd like slept together and were like in a relationship or were they like two dates in and then he just weirdly broke up with her? No. So it took me a while to catch this, but there is this really brief scene where he's on the bus and they're texting and she's like, come over after the competition's done. And so like, I do think there was some sort of relationship there. I think if I have one beef with this movie, it is, I thought that the actress was great. Um, I really thought that their chemistry was funny and like, uh, I wanted one more scene with her to like cement that the relationship was actually real. I think that's where I was going at where I was like, it's like, like a shortcut to that would have been starting out with them already dating. But I like the idea that he is so naive and he's so socially awkward that he needed to get the confidence given to him by JK Simmons to ask her out. So maybe like one more scene would have really driven home that like to show that their relationship was on another level, like they had a deep connection and he was sacrificing it because to your point, it does kind of play almost like, like a comedy when he breaks up with her. Cause it's so absurd that he's like telling her all these things when they've been together for such a brief time. Yeah. But then it's heartbreaking that he like finally has the confidence and he invites her, even though, even when he's doing it, you're like, this sounds so bad. He's like, I'm sorry. It's so awkward. And then she does the, well, uh, I'll have to ask my boyfriend if we can come to your concert. And you're just like, Oh yeah. It's just pain, just pain deep inside. Yeah. Just so brutal. So you see like, that was like his one shot at like normal normalcy. But then we, so then we get to the actual, um the is it jvc yep the jvc uh production where fletcher gathers everybody around and basically is like if you crush this you could have a job for life if you screw up your career is basically over we get on stage he gave neiman the wrong songs and he comes up and he's like i know it was you so good just the fact that's happening in the moment, like the, they start playing the music and he's like got whiplash out the titular whiplash, which you love. You love to see he's got that sheet music. And then when they start playing and I, I do wonder, I don't know much about drums, but I do know that like, I thought like you could be able to like pick up and like, he's trying, to, he's trying, he's trying, he, he blows it. He's even, I know he's, he's messing up. <laughs> like he's not close. And then we get dad of the year again. He runs. Also, wait, wait, if you're the dad, are you being like, son, you cannot do this. <laughs> like, this is insane. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not I'll a father. Back out, out there with him. Like, he goes to the concert. I almost feel like the dad has to be like, I am not going to support you in this. I'll support you in anything but going back to this man who literally almost led to your death and mentally broke you to the fact, to the point that you quit the one thing you love. <laughs> but whatever parents he- do. Yeah. he shows up. Yeah, I think he knows though that Neiman is just so like 
you're not going to change his mind. And it's like the second that his mind is made up that he wants to play for this JVC band, that he, the dad's probably just like, all right, fine. You know, he's, he's just kind of given up on him. If I'm the dad, I like to have a few words. I'd like to have a few words with uh, Fletcher just to feel him out a little oh, bit. Yeah. Just to be like, hey, by the way, you're going to like yeah. not be, don't, don't do what you did last time, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh and so, yeah, he, one last hug, he walks off stage and gives one last hug. And you're like, shit, man, like, is this movie really going to end like this? <laughs> like, and then he just walks his ass back on stage and you know, what happens? He does that great thing where he looks at the, the, is the basis. He's like, I'll count you in. Just well, so <laughs> he, what happens is Fletcher's like surprised he's back. I guess he was just going to do the rest of the concert drumless, but like, He's surprised and he's like, we're going to slow it down a bit. And, but right when he says that, Teller cuts him off and starts a solo. Well, time out. Would it be cooler if after he kicked uh, Naaman off, if out of the out of the out of the clouds, Conley steps through the curtains, ready to go. The number two man just grinning ear to ear, just playing like Ringo, just, just having a ball. I that, that would have been pretty good. But yeah, so Naaman starts the uh the solo and he looks at the basses and he's like caravan i'll cue you and like apparently this entire band knows that song so i'll buy it why not no, well, they were gonna play caravan it was on the set list oh okay all right all right so that but that's what's incredible he starts playing and he's and the, the genius of this scene is that it goes on probably four times longer than anyone else would have done it because every time you think it's reached its peak it just keeps like at first it's like oh it's a it's a win just that he started playing and the band joined him and you're like all right and then he he mouths f you to to fletcher fletcher's getting all flustered and then like they play and then finally fletcher gets caught in the music too he's pumped and then after they're done he just keeps going and, and, then, and then even Fletcher's like, what are you doing? Have you just lost your mind? Yeah. Like he comes over like in the beginning of that scene and he's like, I'm going to gut you like a pig. And then like by the end of it, you know, when the solo starts, um, he walks over and instead of like being upset, he's like, Andrew, what are you doing, man? Like, he's like, He's like, you, we won. He's like, you did a good job. It yeah. play. He's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'll cue you. There are a couple things that happen that I love uh, where when he starts to slow down, Simmons comes over and he's like, he can't help himself. He's coaching him up. And he's like, all right, like, bring it down, bring it down. And he's like, bring it up, bring it up. Like, switch to the symbols, hit those, hit those. And then he's like, I'll cue you. Simmons loses the jacket. I love that part. He takes his jacket off, so he's just got okay. the jacked. He looks so jacked in his shirt, just pointing at the at the other part of the band. And then there's nothing better than you the the look we get of Neiman looking up and Simmons. You don't even see his face; you just see his eyes. But his eyes are like lit up. And then they flash back to Teller and he's smiling. It's like he finally got that, the juice, the approval that he needed. And then just... Also the perfect cut to his father. And his father is not that. His father sees... It's it's like, it's this is Paul Reiser bringing it. I think this is his best moment in the movie. It's like an acceptance, but also a fear 
and that he's seeing his son is great, but he's also seeing what this will eventually cost him in the future. Right. And so then we get the immediate cut to black after the the solo commences. And that's the movie. And uh, And I think this is the ultimate question we have then. At the end of the movie, the question you're left with is, is the price of greatness worth it? Do you think it's worth it at the end of the movie when we get to that moment when it cuts to black? Well, I, I think the reason why that is the question is because we don't know what happens next, right? Like maybe Andrew goes on and he's a very successful musician. Maybe he <laughs> quits drums after that moment. And that's kind of like the peak. I don't think that's possible. I think it's clear that at that point, then when he smiles and him and Naaman have, sorry, him and Fletcher have that connection, it's putting it's putting its foot in like the flag in the, in the sand that this is, they found their moment. They they now have they have a mutual understanding that he is on the level of a Charlie Parker. So, what I've always I don't know about that, I, I'm going to disagree with that. I I think there's a part of this movie that we haven't discussed, and it's about how they talk about it at the jazz bar, and they're talking about how jazz is kind of dying. And I took away from that scene that there's the like the the Charlie Parker thing is not something that can happen in the current state of that movie and the and the time of that movie that there's not going to be a charlie parker it's going to be like you get to play for the national symphony orchestra or something like that like it's it's just you're not going to take over the nation and be this famous person i mean and that's kind of like the reality right i mean there are some great jazz musicians like robert glasper and, and guys like that that exist today but like people don't know those names right they're, they're, they're it's not as big of a name as charlie parker but i don't think he's in it for the fame right yeah, no, I know. I'm just saying, like, I don't I think part of the movie is like he's working so hard to be the greatest in all this, but like it there 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 isn't a Charlie Parker anymore. Like that this just doesn't exist because jazz is not what it used to be. And I do think that is a, a part of the movie too, is it working so hard for this thing. And it's great that maybe he can be the greatest drummer alive, maybe. I don't I don't know, but the reality is like people don't really care as much as they used to. I think that that's he's 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 more directly tackling that in la la land because that's literally what like the movie's about is like what you know jazz what is jazz in like the the current landscape but i still think it's a question of because he's not in it for the money i don't think he's in it for that i think he just wants to be the best jazz drummer there is i think an equally interesting question that i haven't actually thought about even though i've seen this movie so many times and i want your guys opinion what does Fletcher and Naaman's relationship after this moment look like? Because he's not going to ever be his teacher again because he can't teach. I think they've reached a mutual understanding. Because my answer to the... But like, are they hanging was, out? Like, you know, are they like... Are I they think so. I think so. I think the smile was like, all right, you're in. And I can I'm, see them playing together. Like yeah. the way he was playing, because now he's not teaching anymore. He needs the gig probably to get by. I could see them being in an ensemble together. I could also see him joining that na- national orchestra. I think my thing is, I think it's worth it, and I would, I would want, I would want none of my loved ones to ever be cursed with such a such an affliction. the The affliction of being the great. I think if that's what you want to be, and that's your drive, I re- like I can respect that and understand it and sacrifice all your relationships. I would want that on no one I love to have to live like that. But I also can totally understand if you want to be that, I get it. You know what I mean? It's tricky. Though. It's tricky because for some of the greats, 
they don't lose their yeah. family. And Ideally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're like, they're people who have a life outside of whatever it is they're great at. It, it's There's not, also a lot of people that don't. I, I mean, you, the, you can go back and forth because I feel like I can, you know, we can name like a lot of musicians that have families and stuff. But I'm I just think, saying it's not a given that just because you're the greatest in the world at something that it's your entire life. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying, yeah, I agree with that. I just think that in this case, this kid, it is. that's his path. If his path is, the, if he's going to do it, he can't live any other way. You know, you know, he has to be fully in. And I think if you ask, like the movie is like, it has, it's like a kind of a dark ending because you're, because it, it's like, a, it ends on a moment of elation. But I think the genius is having that moment where you show his father and that's his one relationship he has left in his life. And his father is almost in awe of him but also is afraid of him, of like what yeah. will become of him. And I think that's what the beautiful moment of the movie. Yeah. My question is, is, is the band into it? Cause this is a, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, no, I get what you're saying. It, I think literally just like all these other guys are serious musicians. They want to get shown up there too. <laughs> and they want to put on a good performance. And all of a sudden the, the drummer just takes over. Are they like, Oh my God, this guy's amazing at drums. Or are they like, why is this kid like stealing the show right now? I, I think that it, I honestly think that they probably at first were like, like the first minute. This is a nine minute scene, by the way. This is like one tenth of the movie. But um, I think at the first part, they probably were like, what the hell is going on? But like, I think they probably, Brady alluded to getting caught up in a moment. Um, they probably were caught up and they were like realizing that they were witnessing greatness. Um, yeah. So Brady double feature hit us. Okay. So this is, uh, I, I did some thinking about this one. There's a few options. I decided to stay in the music, uh, stratosphere actually in this segment is called double feature. And so the double feature for this week, it's actually a very recent movie. I don't know if we'll ever get around to talking about it. Um, it's a 2022 film. Actually, it's not 2022 film. Rot up the wrong Wikipedia page of a movie with the same name. Um, it's a 2018 movie. Uh, it's called Blaze, directed by Ethan Hawke. It's about, it's a true story about uh, Blaze Foley. Have you, you guys ever heard of him? Yeah. Maybe country, well, country he's like a folk musician. Yeah, yeah. He's really, he's really good folk musician. And then like it's at the very beginning, it's shown he was, he was murdered um, in like a, like a meaningless happen happenstance thing. And the movie is really about, it's a romance because the screenplay was co-written by his wife and it's about him as a musician. He, he wants to be a legend. He's very similar to Teller. He said, she's like, do you want to be a star? And he's like, I don't want to be a star. Cause like a star will burn out. You play for yourself. He's like, I want to be a legend. I want people to remember me. And in chasing that he loses his relationships. He, you know, he falls in that life. Towns Van Sant is a character and, you know, he's, he's another great musician. He's a character in it. And it has, a, it just, I mean, to sum up the movie, there's a, he, uh, Blaze Foley had a great song. It's called uh, If Only I Could Fly. And there's a moment where he's talking about his regrets and he's talking about like his, uh, his love life. And he said, if I could change one thing in my life, it would have been if only we could fly. And that just like, just a knife through the heart, just so, cause he's like, it should, and especially cause the screenplay is written by his wife with Ethan Hawke and um, really great performance by the lead Ben Dickey playing him and the, uh, Charlie Charlie Sexton plays Towns Van Zandt. He another great performance, but it's just it's a movie that struck me. No, no one really talked about it, and it's like a movie I think about a lot when it comes to like what was it worth? You know, is the his music some of the greatest uh, folk music you'll ever hear? But at what cost? Awesome. But to this day, they made a movie about him. 
Yeah. All right, sweet. So let's get into the scoring. Brian, let's kick it off with you. What do you, what do you got for us on Whiplash? So I was going to actually add to the double feature too, but it kind of goes into my, I guess, my summary of the movie. I feel like the double feature for this personally would be Eight Mile. They're actually, they're actually pretty similar, like in a way. Um, but I, to me, it's one of the goat music movies. I guess I would call it, or like one of the goat movies about music. I would say. Um, I obviously really enjoy it. I don't. I don't think I would say it's my goat movie about music because I think I would put like I just love like Eight Mile like. Call me crazy. I love like Sister Act, which is about music. Like I think Sister these... Act or Sister Act Two. Which one do you prefer? <laughs> They're both good. That's one of the rare cases where a sequel is like almost as good as the original. Do you uh, see? Do you notice in Sister Act Two that that's Lauren Hill? Yeah, yeah, she kills oh, it. She yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I really did enjoy it, and it's it is one of my favorites. And it, it like I get like. From like an artistic standpoint, it's better than Eight Mile or Sister Act or like these types of music movies. But I like I I don't know. I think I just enjoy those movies maybe a little bit more. Like what I say, like which ones do I want to watch again? Honestly, I would say it's more the others. But still, one of my goats. That that's not a knock on it. I think it's a great movie for sure. Excellent, Brady. What do you got? I'm going with it's the Goat Cost of Greatness movie. I think this movie, I hadn't watched it in a minute. You know, I remember I, I saw it in theaters. I, I like, I, you know, I'm a Miles Teller fan, but it'd been a while since I watched it. And just the rewatch, it really made me appreciate Teller more because I just, I love him for his charisma, but the idea that he was able to tone it down in a way and play such an unlikable character that you still root for, but you're also rooting for something you know is bad for him. And I think J.K. Simmons gives one of the, it's literally like in a lab. What's the the ideal su uh, supporting actor role? This one, he just, he just takes the ball and runs with it. And I just feel like the tension just keeps building. It keeps building. I feel like it's kind of like the precursor for that, like Safety Brothers kind of thing that has become really, it's a, buzz, like, a lot of buzzwords is people are always going for like, what's the new, next Uncut Gems? I feel like this movie was kind of like early to the party in that sense where it, like, it's kind of queasy you're like not so you're not sure who you're rooting for but like or if you should be rooting for him and then i just i just when i get to that final scene it just it just it's that singular moment where it takes me away i lose myself in the movie i feel myself watching your performance i feel it's almost like i go outside of myself and then when it just like i they cut to the dad's face and that just something happens to me inside and then they just cut to teller and fletcher and they're both smiling and they have that moment of understanding between them and it, the cut to black. It just, I don't know. It just resonates with me in a, in a very specific way. And I think it's maybe, I would have probably said, I don't know. I think it might be Chazelle's best movie, um, which, you know, nobody likes to hear that their first movie's the best, I, but I really, really love his other movies too. I just feel like this is a really singular movie that only he could have made. And it really, uh, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's a goat for me. All right, I'll uh, I'll take it home. Obviously, I'm very high on this movie, and so I've got three things that I'm going to to get out. It's the Goat Miles Teller movie for me, and that's saying a lot uh, because I love Teller's catalog. I think he's brilliant. Uh, it is the Goat Miles. I'm going to give J.K. Simmons the Goat movie villain. Uh, I know that there are 
people in movies who do worse things, maybe like mass murderers or whatever, serial killers, uh, Silence of the Lambs type guys. But this guy's a bad dude. He's just a villain. He's terrifying. He's so scary the entire time. Uh, they actually said uh, in doing research that he, they like Damien Chazelle made him like go up and like be buddy buddy with some of the musicians that he was like berating uh, in between takes because they're like these people are terrified of you. But he never did that with Teller to keep that like real tension going. And then you know we touch on it a lot, but it's the goat movie ending for me ever. And I talked about how much I loved the the intro so i think the bookends of this are just so phenomenal um i get caught up in that moment every single time i watch it every single time i'm on the edge of my seat uh even though i know it's happening i remember watching this in like thanksgiving like 2015 16 with my brother-in-law and like we'd had some drinks going and uh we were down in the then the basement and he's just like he's putting this thing up volume higher and higher and higher as the solos go and my mom's just like texting like turn that shit down she's like trying to go to sleep and like it was just i don't know man the end of this movie's so crazy it's like these two guys are on a tour to force the entire time these actors and so for me it is the goat movie ending of all time and that is whiplash we will be back That's a lot of goats we will be back next week. Brian, tell the people what they got for homework. All right. So um, it may be coming a little out of left field with this one, but we had to do a, a science fiction movie, I would say, to to mix things up a little bit here. So we're going to do RoboCop, uh, the original RoboCop mm -hmm. from the 80s, not, not the remake from late 2000. No, probably 2010s at some point. I never even saw it. Um, so, yeah original robocop looking forward to it that's exciting awesome awesome we're looking forward to that and uh as always thanks for listening and and download rate and uh subscribe and and we'll see you next week